Okay, we're going to go on in our study of the questions of Jesus. And if somebody could get Mark 8, 14 to 18 for us. Mark 8, 14 to 18. Uh, Dennis, maybe we should start off with 40 jumping jacks, something aerobic, get the blood moving, the, the lungs pumping, blood to the brain. Hallelujah. So the first question we looked at last week was, who do you say that I am? Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? So who do you say that he is? Brian. Christ, the Son of God. What does that imply? That's uh, You're saying a mouthful. Lucas. That he is God. That he is God incarnate. What an incredible thought to come to grips with. Jesus Christ is God who walked among us as a man. Okay? So this is who he acknowledges himself to be. So you've got all the cults saying that he's this and he's that. And uh, hopefully we've given you a scriptural basis to substantiate that claim that I am God. And so uh, it's good to know that foundation. Uh, Very, very critical. If you don't have that right, you don't have anything right. So we want to look at a uh, at the next question that I want to cover that Jesus asks his disciples Mark 8:14 to 18 The disciples had forgotten to take bread they did not have more than one with them in the boat Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, asked them, Why do you reason? It's because we have no bread. Do you not yet perceive or understand, is your heart hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? And do you not remember? Okay, this is essentially the question that Jesus asks. He spreads it out a little. But in, uh, in essence, he is asking, is your heart hardened? And so uh, the basis of this study is that any of the questions that Jesus asks his disciples in the context that we're looking at would be appropriate to any one of us at any time. And uh, it would be appropriate for Jesus to ask you today, is your heart hardened? Is your heart hardened? And before you jump right up with Peter-esque bravado and say, oh, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Not not my heart. My heart can't get hardened. Understand that uh, it's not an easy question to answer objectively. Proverbs 20, verse 6. Somebody get that for me real quick. Uh, Lucas. Uh, Jake, get me G- uh, Genesis 6, 5. Somebody over here get me Ecclesiastes 9, 3. Uh, uh, John, uh, Jeremiah 17, 9. Rick and uh, Matthew 15, 18 to 19. 
Casey. Okay, it's not an easy question to answer objectively. Give me Proverbs 20. Most men will proclaim every one of his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. See, most men think that they're fine and will proclaim their own goodness. But Solomon in all his wisdom says, but really, who can find a faithful man? Who can find somebody who really does live righteously and bear the word of God uh, righteously? Okay, Hardness of heart is a condition that we usually recognize in others. But we don't pick it up in ourselves. Hardness of heart uh, is a condition uh, that uh, most people will not acknowledge is existent in their life. It's very, very certain that the Pharisees that, that Jesus is warning about, and Jesus is warning about this very issue. He's saying, you know what? They, they won't believe me. Their hearts are hardened. They demand a sign. This is, in context, this is exactly what he's talking about, is the hardness of the Pharisaical heart. Uh, and uh, I guarantee you that the Pharisees didn't think they were hard-hearted. They thought they were religiously pure. They thought they were completely right with God. I doubt that the disciples thought themselves hard-hearted, and yet Jesus implies that it's at least a possibility, if not a reality in their lives, that they are hard-hearted. He asks them, what are you, hard-hearted? I can't explain anything to you. I can't teach you anything. Very clearly, uh, the, the question that I've asked you has nothing to do with loaves of bread. We just got through multiplying bread and feeding thousands. And you failed to recognize the import of that miracle. You failed to recognize what I did in that moment. And, uh, and now you're, you're confused. You don't even understand the most basic thing that I'm trying to say to you. Do you have a hard heart? Is that the problem? It's the problem uh, that I'm unable to speak into your life and bring direction to you. Is the problem really maybe a hard heart? I guarantee you the disciples wouldn't have thought so. But by the time he got through with them, I'm sure they were wondering. If maybe that's true, maybe I am hard-hearted. Maybe I do have a problem here. And the need for each one of us this morning is to be able to answer this question honestly and objectively. Do I have a hard heart? Is there a problem in me? Because if you do have a hard heart, as you read through the scriptures, you know, God is has a real problem with hard hearts. He, has, he doesn't have a lot of problem with, uh, you know, being stupid and stuff, but he has a real problem with hard hearts. Hard hearts troubles God and uh, uh, brings forth dire threats. And so it's a very important question. For God to be able to work with you, you have to have a heart that's pliable. And so he asks this, are you hard-hearted? Let's see if we can uh, come to grips with this question in our lives this morning. The first thing that we need to see is that by nature, by nature, our hearts are prone to being hard-hearted. In other words, it'll be the exception to the rule if you're not hard-hearted. Because by nature, our hearts harden against uh, God's command and God's lordship in our life. Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God, just before he wipes the world out uh, with a flood, he looks on man and he says, every one of their hearts is constantly set on evil. Ecclesiastes 
Their hearts are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they joined the dead. And actually, the implication in uh, New King James and various translations is, is they carry the insanity of their heart with them to the grave. That they're nuts after they die. That their hearts are so wicked that, uh, that they remain eternally wicked. Because that's the nature of man's heart. Jeremiah 17.9, very familiar portion of Scripture. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Matthew 15, 18 and 19. So what's the picture we get of the of the uh, normal human heart in Scripture? Wicked. 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 Sound like crickets. Wicked. 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 It's wicked. It's evil. The heart is naturally has a propensity for being uh, anti-Christ, anti-God, and pursuing its own agenda. That's the human heart. Okay, so before you jump right up and go, my heart's not hard. Understand that the proclivity of your heart, the way your heart wants to go by nature, is against the things of God. And any one of us who have walked with God for any length of time knows the battle that rages within. There are two words that are used uh, uh, in the Hebrew and in the Greek uh, to describe the heart. The Hebrew is lieb, the Greek is cardia. And uh, uh, according to Richardson's Expository Dictionary of Bible Words, uh, the heart of man is his very person, his psychological core. The conscious awareness each of us has that makes us persons and the spiritual dimension of responsiveness and unresponsiveness to God are both expressed by the word Heart, And so it has to do with our, disp- uh, our disposition in life, our attitude, and our ability to connect with God and to obey or disobey God. This is what's implied by the biblical word heart. And so all of these scriptures that we read says everything in us is twisted towards sin. Our entire personality has a sin bent to it. And what a person does externally does not always reflect what he is internally. Eventually it will come out. Eventually what we are will display itself uh, on certain levels. We may act very cool, calm, and collected, but put us in the right circumstances and we begin screaming and hollering just like the next guy. Or, uh, you know, given the right circumstances, uh, the average person uh, uh, will do what's in his heart. Most people don't live out everything in their heart because of the fear of the repercussions. But... If we were completely honest this morning, if people lived and acted out all that was in their heart, this world would be hell. There would be murder, mayhem, rape, pillage, devastation, war on every hand. If every person lived everything that was in their heart, this world would be a catastrophe of the highest order. Just look at Hollywood and what they produce. Think about... What is it work in the human heart to want to go and pay whatever they're paying now? What, six, eight bucks? I don't know what a movie ticket costs anymore. 
I used to go for 50 cents, but that was a long time ago. And I was on Saturdays. And so here we're talking about, you know, paying six, laying six, eight bucks down to sit in a screen and watch people be eaten by animals, blown up to various degrees, burned, fried, uh, everything that you can do. We, we pay good money to watch. All of the immorality. You can't, you can't watch a movie anymore without immorality being in it. I was on a plane. Uh, I can't remember where I was going to. They were showing a cartoon. It was a cartoon. I'm thinking, you can't go bad with a cartoon. And here's this sleazy chick in the middle of a cartoon. A cartoon chick. And she's making the moves on the, on the hero of the cartoon. So all this sexual innuendo in cartoons. You know, whatever happened to Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote, man? You can, But but, but this is Hollywood. And what Hollywood is, is let's take our imagination and put it on the screen so everybody can see what we're thinking. And what do we get? That's what the world would be if we could get away with it. Because that's what's in our hearts. Why does that appeal to us? You know, you read all these... Hollywood moguls, and they're all saying, well, you know, it's cathartic, and it's, you know, it helps people work out their fears. That's bunk. That is bunk. I never went to a movie and worked out my fears. I went to movies and watched Murder and Mayhem and said, this is cool. And the more Murder and Mayhem, the better. That's why action movies anymore don't even need a plot. All they have to do is be able to seek from one scene of destruction to the next. You don't even need a plot anymore. Just, just... Blow up enough cars and you've got a seller. Because that's what's in the heart of man. That's what we call entertainment. That's what we call recreation. And if man lived according to his heart, this world would be insane. I'm making this point. I'm driving this point home for a reason. For anyone to even think that they can get into heaven by their own goodness is insanity. Because it doesn't exist. I was talking to a guy last night at the underground, and he's telling me how he... I asked him, you're going to make it into heaven? Well, I think if I'm good enough, and if I take care of business, you know, uh, I believe in Jesus, and if I'm good enough, he'll, he'll, uh, I'll merit heaven. I said, I said, you're insane. You can't possibly be good enough, Ever. And see, what he's doing is he's saying, he's looking on the outside and saying, well, I haven't murdered anybody, I haven't blown up any cars, I I haven't lived what's in my heart. But you can't separate who you are from your heart. What you are inside is what you are. It's what you are. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Somebody get that for me real quick. First thing, I need quick hands. This is the most lethargic morning I have seen in a long time. Mike, what'd you, you didn't get your coffee. What's, what's going on here, folks? Come on, get with it. Bro, wake up. Lift those hands. I feel like a cheerleader for crying out loud. Deuteronomy 36, Mike. Ezekiel 11:19. Mike, Hoyt. Ezekiel 36, 26. Aaron, get me Colossians 1, 21 to 23. Eric, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Joel, Isaiah 42, 25. Uh, Ezekiel 2, 4. Uh, uh, Rick and Eleanor, get me uh, Ezekiel 3, 7. Mark 6, 52. Rod, Jake. Uh, 
No, I'm sorry, Jake. Get me Second Chronicles 36, 15 to 16. Zechariah 7:12. Dennis. Uh, boy, we got lots of hands now. That was good. I got to do more often. It seems to work. Uh, uh, Don, get me Psalms 32:9, and Lucas, get me Ephesians 4:18. Since I got hands to go, we'll keep going. Mark 16:14. Chad, Psalms 95, 8 and 9. Casey. Okay, <clears throat> so. First uh, Samuel 16:7. <clears throat> this is one of the most profound scriptures in the Bible. Once you understand that you are inseparable from your heart, what your heart is is who you are. Listen to what God says. First Samuel 16:7. The Lord looks at the heart. Here, God, look. Look at all the good things I'm doing. I pray. I read my Bible. I go to church. I witness. I'm a good guy. I do all these good things. And God says, yeah, that's nice. But what about this little dark corner here in your heart? Because you can't separate. And this is what we do as human beings. We, we, try, to, we try to say, well, that's just, you know, I don't do that. So therefore, that's not me. But what the Bible says is, that's you because that's your inner man. That's, that's who you are in the most profound sense. And God says, all the stuff you're doing on the outside isn't an accurate reflection of your true nature. Because your true nature is depraved. The Calvinist theological term for it is the utter deprivation of man. That the heart is so screwed up that there's no way in the world it can redeem itself. Now, Calvin took it to the extreme that he can't even decide to ask God into his heart because he's so depraved. I don't believe that. Nonetheless, what we get from uh, Scripture is a very clear picture that there is no way in the world you will ever, ever, ever get to heaven on your good works. Because for all of your good works and all of your external activity, you still have your heart. And your heart has a serious problem. That's why God has to do something supernatural upon salvation. He has to do something in the inner man. Deuteronomy 36, 30 verse 6. The Lord himself will do something in your heart so supernatural that you'll be able to genuinely love him from your heart. God has to do that. It's something supernatural. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. The one problem with giving out a multitude of scriptures is you can't remember who you gave what to. <laughs> Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Somebody get me Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Let's have Ezekiel thirty six twenty six while we're looking that up. I will take out of you the heart of stone and I will put in you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel eleven nineteen.
Okay, same thing. This is the promise of God, and this is, this is absolutely essential. This is the miracle of salvation, uh, is God doing something in your heart. It's a miracle, when you think about it, that any of us have a heart to serve God, or a heart that's even vaguely interested in God. To have a heart that wants to obey God, to have a heart that can be pricked when we do wrong. A heart that the Holy Spirit can speak to and say, you know what, you've just grieved me. You've just grieved God. I never had that experience once in my life before salvation. Many times I was, I, I had a conscience, but that conscience said, oh, you're in a lot of trouble now. Right? That conscience said, what if you get caught? That conscience wasn't a grieving of, of God's spirit. It was simply a, a, an, a, you know, an element of the fear of my father and uh, my parents and the law and whoever else may be in control that I could get caught. I could get busted for this. And if I didn't get busted, I didn't have a problem. If you, you know, it doesn't matter. The, the crime isn't in what you do. It's in getting busted, Right? And so here we are, God does something real in our lives, and we actually have a concern as to whether what we say is right, whether what we do is right. God, did I handle that right? God, am I living right before you? Am am I taking care of the affairs of my life? That's unthinkable without a miracle. People don't think that way. People don't consult the Word of God. How many of you read the Bible before you were saved for guidance and direction in your life? Now, some of us read it because we were stoned and we were bored and we were looking for something to read. But, see, see, we're talking about something miraculous. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the goodness of God working in our heart that, that brings the actual change in our lives. If it weren't for a miracle, there's no way in the world we could pursue the will of God. Unfortunately, this doesn't mean that henceforth and forevermore we're out of danger of a hardened heart. So we like to take those scriptures and say, well, God's given me a new heart, so I don't have to worry about that. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Uh, Colossians 1, 21 to Paul is talking about all the benefits of salvation, how he's made you presentable, how he's made you holy, how he's brought you into the presence of God. If you continue. Clause. Here's the danger. God's done all this wonderful, miraculous work in your life, but it's quite possible that you will sabotage that work. And at the very thing God's done for you, you'll subvert because you won't continue in it. There's a danger of the heart hardening in the life of a Christian. Second Corinthians thirteen five. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Prove yourself. You've got to check it out very carefully. He says you can't take it for granted that you're in the faith. He's writing to a church. He's writing to Christians. This wasn't written to heathen. He wasn't saying, are you saved? He's saying to Christians, are you saved? Of course I am. I'm a Christian. 
Ah, it doesn't work that easy. Check out your heart. Ooh, I don't want to go there. Isaiah 42, 25. Try, try Isaiah 42, 25, Eric. See, the Pharisees that Jesus is warning the disciples about, they weren't born with hard hearts. They were born with, you know, corrupt hearts like we all were. But in other words, here they are, they're... Uh, pursuing God uh, based on their understanding, the Old Testament, uh, and the Pharisees were very much concerned uh, about obedience and walking righteously before God. Uh, They didn't set out to have hard hearts. But through religious activity, through the blinding of the uh, of the works of darkness, through, through all of the dynamics that work in the religious being, they became hard hearted individuals. I believe that hard heartedness is perhaps most dangerous to Christians. In other words, Christians are the ones who really are the ones who have to look out for this. Sinners, they're just living in sin. They're just, they don't, you know, they're just kicking along. They, they haven't closed the door to God. But we who know God are the ones who close the door to God. Because God deals with us and God says, this is what I want you to do. And we say, no, thank you. We have revelation and we say, no, thank you. We're the ones that are really in danger of hard-heartedness. Uh, Isaiah 42.25. Here the prophet says, God's judging, God's moving on this person, uh, and uh, he's laid fire. He, uh, the New King James says, set him on fire on every side, and he doesn't feel it. He doesn't feel it. He's not aware. That God's pressing sore on him and saying, listen, you got to straighten up. He's completely unconscious to the fact. Okay, any questions here? Anne. Okay, so bear that in mind, because we're going to look at that. This is a symptom of a hard heart. And she's talking about how she became very judgmental towards sinners, and very, uh, had an attitude about people. They're just messed up. And so keep that in mind. We're going to look at that scripturally in just a moment. Casey.
So we're going to get to that. So here's a dynamic that you've got to be aware of, that there's not a single person in here that, given the right opportunity, your heart might not prove you out. Okay? Dennis, real quick. I think driving in uh, Prescott is a good test of... <laughs> Don't even go there. I, I, I never even saw it. I just remember hearing about it. It was this road race 2000 or something where everybody's car was equipped with guns and blades. And I thought, this is a good idea. <laughs> See, that's what's in our heart. So, okay, so we got these hearts that are, are uh, wicked, but God wants to move them. Uh, but here we realize that within us is this built-in proclivity to, to uh, resist that move of God. And so I want to look at a f- couple of the symptoms, scripturally, of having a hard heart. So we can ask ourselves, this is happening to me. Ezekiel 2, 4. They are impudent and stiff-hearted. I send you, Ezekiel, to... Preach to them. Okay? I send you to preach to them and say, this is what the Lord says, and compare this with Ezekiel 3, 7. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel have impudence But the house of Israel will not hear you, just like they will not hear me, because they are impudent and stiff-hearted, or hard-hearted. So, one of the, one of the indicators that you have a hardening heart, is you resent the preaching of the Word. That when the Word of God is delivered, you have an attitude. And too often, we tune out the preacher because we don't like the message. Or we don't like the style. Or we don't like the fact that he's going over 30 minutes. And we begin to tune him out. Say, you know what, I don't have to listen to this. Here is God's word being brought to you, and you're saying, I don't have to listen to this. Dangerous position to assume. Psalms 32.9. No, I'm sorry. 2 Chronicles 36.15 and 16. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, 
rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, until there was no remedy. God sent them messengers to declare and to say, listen, this is what the word of the Lord is. But they mocked him. They scorned him until there was no remedy. Until their heart was so hard, the word of God could no longer penetrate their lives. It's a great danger in the church because we're exposed to preaching week in and week out. And we can get to where we take it for so much for granted. It's just like, it's, it's like watching the news. You just sort of veg. You just veg. All this information is coming at you, and you veg because you've grown calloused to the Word of God. It doesn't, it doesn't connect with you like it did when you were a new convert. Where, where the Word of God came down, it was like, oh, God! Now the Word of God comes down. And... Same Word of God. Pastor Mitchell hasn't changed. But we have. And the problem is a hardening heart. Zechariah 7.12. Yes, we made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. They made their heart like flint and they wouldn't listen. Sure sign of a hard heart. Second issue of a hard heart is the inability to understand spiritual truth. Mark 6.52. Consider not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. They consider not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Okay, this is the same basic context of what we're looking at here in our text. Uh, and uh, he's talking about this. Here's this incredible miracle, but they can't even comprehend uh, what's transpired in front of their very eyes. They can't make the connections. They can't connect the dots. It's incredible how a hard heart can confuse the issues. You know, so many times in counseling and talking to people, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that. I was talking, I don't think Bruce would, would mind me using a, a, a tremendous example of this. He, he was sharing with me the other night, Bruce Cutter, that when he first got saved, he believed in Jesus. It was real. It was powerful. But he could not connect with the fact that he was a sinner. He, he, he'd given his life to Jesus. He's God. But I'm not a sinner. I'm a good guy. And here's this basic truth that's very tangible and very visible to anybody, but he's got his filters on. You know, he's got his dilithium crystals fully charged. His shields are up. You're not going to get through to me. I'm not a sinner. And so one day he prayed because he, you know, it got troubling him. Uh, you know, everybody's calling themselves sinners. Maybe I, need, maybe I need to see something here. And he prayed, God, show me. If I'm a sinner, show me. Oh, bad prayer. He says by the end of the day, he never again in his entire life has questioned whether he's a sinner. Boom! Revelation. What happened? He opened his heart. Okay? And it's amazing the simplest truths that you can't get through to people because their heart's closed to the concept. I'm talking to this guy last night again. I'm talking to him about the need to be in church. He can't get it. No, you don't have to be in church. I'm quoting him scriptures. I said, you wouldn't even have the New Testament if the church was irrelevant. Because it was all written to churches. 
I don't need church. Well, the bottom line is he had said, I ain't going to church. I want nothing to do with church. Because of a more fundamental problem, and that is he don't want to bring his life under the lordship of Christ. Okay? And so we're talking about an inability to even comprehend the simplest truth because of a hardening heart. If you're struggling, if you're confused with the issues of your life, may I suggest you look to the nature of your heart because usually people get confused about the will of God when they don't want to do it. When they don't want to do it. That's when, that's when it all becomes mystical and difficult to understand. Psalms 32.9 Be you not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle lest it come near unto thee. Be you not as the horse or the mule who has to be forced against their will into doing the things that they need to do by a bit and a bridle. Don't be like an animal that has no understanding. Ephesians 4.18 Having the the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. Okay. Having no understanding of the things of God because of the blindness of their heart. So it's another issue is confusion, a lack of understanding, an inability to grasp basic spiritual truth is an indicator of a hard heart. Uh, Mark 3, 4 to 5 touches on what Anne was talking about. Mark 3, 4 to 5. Somebody get me Mark 3, 4 to 5. Rod. And he said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Okay, he said unto them, Is it lawful to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath day, to raise up or to kill? And then he looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their heart. Then he looked around about them with anger, being grieved at the hardness of their hearts. He said to the man, stretch forth your hand, and he stretched out his hand was restored. It's a man with a withered hand, and uh, the Pharisees are all criticizing Jesus because he's healing on the Sabbath. Okay, They're not concerned that this man has a withered hand and can get healed. They're concerned that it's Saturday, and he shouldn't be doing work on the Sabbath. And Jesus is angry with them because they don't have a shred of compassion in their heart. And he's angered at the hardness of their heart, which is demonstrated by their complete inability to look at this person and see beyond legalism into their need. Which is exactly what Annie was talking about, which happens to all of us. is a breakdown in compassion for people because our heart is hardening. Okay, uh, 1 John 3, 17. I didn't get that. Oh, well, that's my problem. It's not your fault. It's my fault. First John 3.17. Somebody get that for me, uh, Sue, Susan. Um, okay. First John 3.17. No, uh, she's getting it. While she's getting that, let me give a couple more scriptures real quick. Um, Exodus 4.21. Uh, Lucas, Jake, get me uh, Exodus 8.15. Uh, Mike, get me um, 
Proverbs 28.14. Somebody get me Ecclesiastes 8.11. Eric, Joel, get me Isaiah 63.17. Somebody get me Hebrews 3.13. Aaron, Mike, Sanchez, get me uh, Daniel 5.20. Matthew 6.21. Chris. Okay. Let's have 1 John 3.17. Whosoever sees his brother's needs and shuts up his heart to him, how is the love of God in him? This is the hardening of the heart to human need. It's a loss of compassion. It's a breakdown. And it, and it represents a more profound problem in your life than just uh, you know being picky or prejudiced. It's talking about some, a process that's going on in your heart, a spiritual process of hardening that is ultimately destructive to you. Okay, And so we're looking at these symptoms, an unwillingness to hear from a man of God, to hear preaching, an inability to sort out simple truth, uh, uh, a breakdown in compassion for people. Mark 16, 14, I gave that to somebody. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. So unbelief is an indicator of uh, a hard heart, which is exactly at the essence of our text, where the Pharisees would not accept his claims or his authorities, uh, even though they had uh, miraculous proof. Psalms 95, 8 and 9. Do not harden your heart as the days of the rebellion where they tested me. Uh, The whole issue of that uh, example is unbelief. They wouldn't believe that I was bringing them into my promise. And so these are symptoms of unbelief. How does a Christian uh, get a hard heart? How does that happen to us? Here we are. We didn't set out to have a hard heart. We want to live for God. But there are things that begin to happen in us that produce a hard heart. Exodus 4.21 Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. God says, I will harden his heart. And, uh, every new convert that's ever read the Bible comes to that and stumbles. Because, hey, that's not fair. You never had a chance. But read, uh, compare that with Exodus 8.15. When Pharaoh saw that, uh, when Pharaoh saw, here's the judgments coming, uh, and when he saw that, uh, you know, the, the judgment had backed off, he hardened his heart. Okay. And so if you'll read through that entire account, you will find God on several occasions saying, I will harden his heart, but you also have another number of verses that say Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so what you have to understand is the interplay between your decision and God's judgment. And what God says is, okay, if you will not obey me, I will harden your heart. If your heart is set not to do what I tell you to do, then I will do a spiritual process in you. And you're not going to get away with this. You're not just going to say, you know what, I don't have to obey God. I will harden your heart in your sin. And this thing's going to produce what it produces down the long run because you've chosen against me. Gloria, you got a question there? Or just a thought? Okay, let's hold thoughts for just a minute. Hopefully we'll have time to get to some of those. All right, so uh, there's a number of scriptures. You can go ahead and write these down for your own study. But Malachi 2.2, 2, 
Nehemiah 9.17, Proverbs 1.24-31, Proverbs 29.1. You go ahead and study those three. We don't have time to cover them. There's a number of scriptures that talk about hardening of the heart coming from a refusal to obey God. So that's where it begins. That's where it begins. Some small issue, some, some that's not a big deal can do this. Doesn't have to be, you know, uh, some horrible thing, you know. It can just be a, a little area of your life where you say, you know what, God, I'm not giving you that. That is the seed for a hardening process that will ultimately destroy you. Proverbs 28, 14. The word reverent there is fear. And the implication is he who fears God. And so our hearts begin to harden when we no longer fear God. Ecclesiastes 8.11. Because execution of judgment doesn't come right down on, uh, on the act of sin, then our hearts is set. To do evil, our heart hardens, our heart ossifies. Because we're not afraid of judgment. We're not afraid of God responding to our sin. Isaiah 63, 17. Isaiah is praying about Israel and saying, God, why have you hardened our heart from fear? Okay, why don't we fear God anymore in Israel? Why don't we fear God anymore in the potter's house? Why aren't we afraid of God's wrath and God's judgment? It's very, very easy to become complacent in the realm of judgment and sin because day in and day out, we get away with it, we think. And so what happens is there's a process. You're not getting away with anything. There is a process that is being energized by ongoing disobedience and by a failure to fear God, and that is hardening your heart against God. That's why for many of you, the things that used to thrill you about being a Christian no longer thrill you because of a process that's taking place. You've got to worry about this. There is a process taking place in your good Christian heart. That is antichrist, And it's hardening you against the will of God. Amen. Scary stuff, folks. Daniel, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 3.13. Exhort one another while it's yet day, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This all ties together. Sin is deceitful. Sin causes you to think that you're going to get away with something. Sin also is appealing and alluring. It it seems like it's something that you really want. And so it draws you in and your heart hardens in that process. We see it, we want it, and our heart goes for it. And it hardens. John.
I'm going to be touching on this in my sermon, but ultimately the congregation is a product of our hearts. Ultimately, that's what we are. That's what our church is, is, is who we are individually lumped together. And so don't be surprised when you see a whole congregation start to drift, start to harden, start to lose its zeal, because it's just a product of our hearts. Okay, uh, keep these questions. There's a lot of hands. We're going to open just a minute, but I want to get these uh, issues done. Daniel 5.20. Nebuchadnezzar's heart is hardened by pride. How do we as Christians get hard hearts? Because we start to get proud. We start to say, look at what I've done. Look at how far I've come. Look at how good I am now. Forgetting that our heart is wickedly deceitful. I have always used as one of my foundational verses in Scripture, Paul's statement, In me, that is, in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing good about me. The only thing good about me is Jesus Christ. It's the only thing good. If you remove that from my life, you got... Okay? Matthew 6.21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I believe this is also part of the process. If you set anything in your heart before God, your heart hardens to God. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It doesn't have to be something evil. It doesn't have to be something wicked. It can be anything that you put before God. At that point, your heart begins to harden to God. So this is how it happens, folks, to good Christians. So the question you got to ask yourself right now is, is my heart hardening? We've looked at some symptoms. We've looked at how it comes to pass. Does it apply? Okay, a bunch of hands. Let's, let's open for uh, thoughts real quick. Balto, you don't often speak at these things. Very good. So here's Balto. It's a long story, but he ended up in jail. And he's with all these jailbirds, and they won't admit to the charges. He was innocent of everything. Attempted murder, spouse abuse, violation of probation. He didn't do any of it. It's all a frame up. Jails are full of innocent people. But in the nicest possible way. Yeah. I, I did buy those drugs. I bought them. Nobody left them in my car like I did. Yeah. I'm a drug user. Yeah. I'm a drunker. I'm, yeah. I'm a failure. 
So God did something. He changed this man's heart. Okay, a man denying his sin now confesses it. Mark. Yep. And it's a continual process in our life. And I personally believe that so many of the teenagers, you know, especially preacher's kids, become so hardened because they've been hearing the word of God their whole lives. And they've gotten to have it blowing off their parents about certain issues in their life. But then they don't make the difference. They don't differentiate between blowing off their parents and blowing off the word of God. Yep. And it brings a hardness to their hearts. And they turn 16 and they, you know, they blow their whole destiny because they've been Okay, so listen to the process Mark is describing here. He's saying that through years of listening to the Word of God and not doing, and not doing, their heart is hardened. So by the time they reach a certain age, they blow it all off. Well, let me tell you something. That ain't just teenagers. There's a bunch of 40-year-old teenagers here today that have the same process going on in their life. Victor. Very good. You can hear the word of God, not uh, get nasty about it, enjoy hearing the preaching, know full well that you're responsible to what's being said, and harden your heart and not respond. Yeah. Yeah. Herod's a perfect example of hearing the word of God day after day, hardening his heart, and eventually killing the preacher. Okay? Which happens again and again in a church. Years and years, you listen to Pastor Mitchell until finally you hate him. Because he's been speaking into your life and you haven't been listening. And now it's... You better watch it because you're in serious, serious spiritual shape at that point. Susan. Good-hearted people with good intentions harden their hearts through these processes. And uh, Susan is talking about how you can get so busy doing for God that you lose the connection with God. And what's happening is you're drifting into the religious activity realm. And the next thing you know, you've got a Pharisee's heart. So that's all we got time for. But uh, ask yourself, do you have a hard heart?